Free Trail fam, welcome back to the show. Of course, I'm your host, Dylan Bowman, and today I'm joined by my dear friend, Andrew Bombalo, who returns for his second appearance on the podcast, the first being almost four years ago now. May of 2020, hard to believe. It was just as Bumby was retiring from his professional racing career for Nike and the Bowerman Track Club. A few years later now, Bumby now works as a product line manager for Nike, fulfilling a longtime dream of breaking into the footwear industry. And although he's been retired for a few years now, it was a good time to sit down and record another podcast because a certain Andrew Bumbelow is about to make his ultramarathon debut at the Black Canyon 100K. A hungry, motivated 210 marathoner, Andrew will be among the ridiculous field assembling to chase golden tickets into the legendary Western States 100 there at Black Canyon. And I am happy to say that I have the honor of acting as Bumby's crew chief at Black Canyon, shepherding him through his first ultra marathon and joining him as he confronts a super powerful life experience. I can't freaking wait. In the podcast, we talk about his pro racing career, the mixed emotions he harbors about what he achieved. We talk about navigating retirement, his new career at Nike. We talk about his pseudo spiritual introduction to trail running at last year's Canyons by UTMB. We talk about his training and his mindset ahead of Black Canyon. We talk about being self-coached for the first time the value of goal setting, and a lot more. I hope you guys enjoy the convo. Before we get to it, I have a really important and really exciting announcement to make, and that is that Free Trail and Daybreak Racing are very excited to partner with Mountain Outpost to deliver a full live stream broadcast of both the Big Alta and Gorge Waterfalls. That's right. Our two races will have a high quality digital viewing experience, bringing the drama and the trail culture to your YouTube feeds onto very important race weekends. The Big Alta is only four weeks away now, February 24th and 25th here in my neighborhood, Marinwood, California. The pro field is mega competitive in both races, so it should be must-see trail TV. We're also going to be doing, I think, two exclusive product releases on Big Alta Race Weekend, so do stay tuned. We still have capacity in both the 50K and 28K, so if you feel like jumping in here last minute, I think the deadline is February 18th, and we would be glad to host you here in Marin County for a nice early season 50K or 28K. Gorge Waterfalls is April 12th through April 14th in the Columbia River Gorge outside Portland, Oregon, where we are expecting more than 1,200 runners over the course of a three-day racing festival, 30K Friday, 100K Saturday, 50K Sunday. So mark your calendars on behalf of Daybreak and Free Trail. Big gratitude to Jamil Curry, Matt Feldick, and Zach Marion for helping us to make this happen and partnering with us to bring these broadcasts to life. We'll have more information in the coming weeks about the team that's going to be on these live streams. We'll talk about, you know, the pre-post-race content and, of course, the trademark Free Trail after party. So more info to come. If you're not already, make sure you sign up for the free trail newsletter to stay up to date on all things that we're doing, including these upcoming broadcasts. There's a link to join our 
mailing list in the show notes of today's episode. Finally, we're grateful to our loyal brand partners, our presenting sponsor, Speedland, of course, and our friends at Ketone IQ, Gnarly Nutrition, and Osprey Packs. Make sure you check out the show notes for links and discount codes for these great brands and these great products. As always, thanks for listening. Catch you in the outro. Retro Podcast is presented by Speedland and the all-new GS Oak. The pink, purple, and black just might be my favorite colorway yet of the GS platform that is now in commission number three. Of course, there was my shoe, the GS Tam, the Cam Haynes shoe, the GS PGH, and now the GS Oak, done in collaboration with fellow indie trail brand Path Projects and with design inspiration from Speedland athlete, my good buddy, Liam Lonsdale. All three of the GS models are primo products. You may have seen David Goggins recently trash-talking Cam Haynes with a pair of the GS PGH on Instagram. That was pretty surreal. I still see a ton of people out on the trails rocking the GS Tam. And now the GS Oak is already more than 50% sold out. And you know the deal. Once they're gone, they're gone for good. No restocks. So you better jump on it now. 2024 is going to be a huge year for Speedland. If you've never tried the brand, there is no better time than now. The world's most high performance, most durable and most stylish trail shoes. As always, free trail listeners get 10% off by using code FREETRAIL10 at checkout. Head over to runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10. Andrew Bumbleau, welcome back. Round two on the podcast. Good to see you, buddy. Oh, it's great to be here. Bumby, as I just mentioned, you've been on the show before, but I have a new opening question. That is what makes you, you, you're prepared for this question at this point. So please remind the listening audience who you are, what makes you special? Yeah, I got, I got this prompt. Um, I have thought about it a little bit. Um, and I think for me, um, well, for, for one, for those that don't know me, um, I was a, a Bowerman track club runner for, for 10 years. I'm a professional runner. I work at Nike now in footwear. I'm a father. Um, I'm a brother. I'm a husband. Uh, I'm all these different things. Um, and I think what I was trying to like come to in terms of what really makes me me is this idea of, of excellence and um, trying to be excellent at everything that I do. Um, it really does drive me and define me. Um, I've done different personality tests at work. I've done ones that are outside of that because I'm really into like human psychology. Um, and I think what does drive me is to be excellent. Um, and that doesn't necessarily, I think excellence can get confused with perfection or with being the best, uh, like in comparing, comparison to others or or those sorts of things. I think for me, it's all about like, sort of being excellent based on what my own standards are and and how do they align with my with my values so um i think that tends to make me like chase a lot of different things like uh and we can talk we'll go into that i'm sure um because i i tend to spread myself thin sometimes with like the pursuit of of excellence but um i think deep down like that is that is what drives me um and makes me me the pursuit of excellence. What a perfect place to start. And yes, we will come back to many of those themes in this conversation. First, I think it's important, Bumby, for us to remind the audience also of the way we met, because I think they'll find it amusing. So please reveal that story once again on the pod. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, Dylan and I like had had a, I think adjacent uh, friendships for a really long time. In terms of, we had one collective friend, um, Levi Miller, who lives in uh, Marin County. He is the connective tissue. He is the glue um, for for this budding relationship that Dylan and I had uh, after that. And so um, we were, uh, I believe, at Levi's bachelor party in Bend, Oregon. And Levi had been telling me about you for for years. I mean, like literally years and years uh, about this guy, Dylan, who he was really like, you know, getting closer with in the Bay Area. You guys ran together all the time. You had like really awesome adventures in Marin County. And you just like sounded like a cool guy that I like would want to be friends with. But like geography, you know, kept us from from maybe like finding each other. So um, we met it. We met in Bend. You had just come off uh the mount fuji i think it was the mount fuji uh win which i was like i was told to to watch this i'd never like watched a trail race in my entire life like ever and so levi was like oh dude you got to check this this out like he's he's in position and i was like okay like cool i'll check it out so i remember watching you and you like you surged late to win that race and i was like oh my god like this guy is this guy's a total badass like and so uh, I'd also come off the Boston Marathon uh, that year. I was fifth. So I was like riding a high from that. So like we just had like we both were coming off career highs uh, of success and then just like got to meet in a cool place like Bend and had a great weekend together. Um, at a bachelor party, then, we have to say. We're coming off huge highs and then we met at a bachelor party. And of course, <laughs> then we became even better friends. Yeah. Instant friends. Instant friends. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And we should say too, that year that you finished fifth at the Boston Marathon was the year that the weather was horrific, the year that Des won, which yeah. I think, you know, made it even more special. But yeah, connecting with each other in person there, coming off these huge highs. And then of course when I moved up to Portland, we uh we settled into a new routine, which I want to talk about here in a second. But first you mentioned Levi. I talked to him just the other day, just sort of like getting some more insights into Andrew Bumbleo. And as you said, he's a really great friend of both of ours. And he gave me the prompt to ask you something here, which is that we're now coming up on the 20 year anniversary of March, 2004. So please tell the audience what the significance of March, 2004 was, because basically what Levi intimated was that this was something that really put you on the national scene for the first yeah. time and really launched your career when you were just a teenager. So tell the yeah. audience about that story. Okay. So the the number significance, so March 2004, but the number significance is key here because it's 8.49. So at 8.49 uh, p.m. or a.m., I would, I would get texts from Levi for years that all it said was 8.49. And what that significance is, is the the two mile time that I ran as a junior in high school in March uh, 2004 at the Arcadia Invitational down in uh, Los Angeles. And um, yeah, like this was a, a very pivotal moment for me. And I didn't realize it. I was a junior in high school. Like I, you know, I was playing video games mostly and just hanging out with my friends and and like to compete and was good at track. But like you know, for me, like, I don't think I realized how big of a moment that was for me because it really put me to the very top of the national high school running scene, like immediately. And so then, you know, coming into my senior year, like I was like one of the top dogs, like it favorited in every race. And before that, like, it was like, 
I was an unknown quantity from Tennessee. So um, it gave me choice, I guess, in, in regard to like attending just about any university that I would want to go to, like just based on that one performance, that one night in in like Pasadena. So, um, yeah, it's like a pretty big deal. And Levi, Levi, liked. I think he did it like as a way to like tease me a little bit but uh but it was an all in good fun it was yeah. it was great he so. he mentioned that he still will when he <laughs> when he sees that it's 849 on his phone or something he'll screen cap it and send it to <laughs> <Yeah>. you <laughs> anyway hilarious so i guess the obvious question then is like that's 20 years of perspective you've lived this long athletic life raced professionally for a long time retired now you're kind of at the cusp of what feels like, you know, a fun new reawakening of at least a competitive drive as it relates to running with 20 years of perspective. Does it feel like there's, you know, a common thread between March, 2004 and what might happen in February, 2024? Yeah, it, it's wild. It, you know, I, I don't think that I ever was someone who was solely like a running nerd. Like I I was good at it and I like competing. And and again, I guess this pursuit of like being excellent like drove me to like be better at it. Um, but it wasn't like for running's sake. Like that was like an evolution thing. Like I I I liked other sports. If I had been like a bigger like person, maybe I would have wanted to play basketball or football. Like, but it just like, you know, all, like some other factors led to like me getting like into running. And so like, that's just the sport that I ended up with. And so that was the sport I followed. Yeah. Now, I think there was like a shift at some point, And I think it was probably like, as I got into marathoning later in my professional career, where the the true love of competition slowly started to be equalized by like my love for training for pursuing like just general like fitness and like being the best version of myself and like loving the process actually like that happened in marathoning because you can't be a good marathoner you just can't if you don't love running because you have to run so much so i think that's when i kind of came to terms with like i actually love running for running's sake mm. um and like yes i retired in 2020 from my like professional competitive career um, and I, I think like when I thought about retirement five or 10 years before, I would have thought I would have walked away from it and, and been fine. And like, and actually like probably pursued something completely different, like just to move my body, like mm -hmm. whether it's cycling or some of the other things that like, like endurance athletes, like pro pro runners or endurance athletes, like move to like when they're done, <laughs> I did that a little bit. Like I, I, I bought a bike, I dabbled, but like. I think I just kind of kept coming back to running because I realized that it was like important to me and I still cared about it and it still made me feel really good. And, you know, I think that's around the time, like when we started to do some of these runs together in yep. 2020. Perfect segue, Bobby. So when I moved up to Portland, you and I became very close. And this was also about the time when the coronavirus pandemic engulfed in all of planet earth and we became sort of training buddies and we had a weekly tradition that came to be called the incubator and last time you were on the podcast was right as you were settling into retirement from your professional athletic career i think the title of the podcast was actually confronting athletic mortality and so we spent a long time commiserating about that in that podcast and then you and i spent 
years commiserating on the trails in our incubator sessions together. And that was a really important moment, I think, in both of our lives as we navigated professional change for both of us. So remind the audience about the incubator and, and what role it served for the two of us. Yeah, I think, you know, I listened to a podcast of yours recently and um, you were talking about this idea of like the 33rd year of life being one that for many people, like famous people, like throughout history, as well as like people that I know in my life, like it is a challenging like time of life. And I think in part because like you're not like to your point to way, the way you described it is like you are not a young adult anymore and you are staring down what real adulthood looks like and what even like a taste of midlife looks like you're watching your parents age. There's all these different signs that like are pointing to the fact that you are not a young man or woman anymore. And so I think uh, my body was reminding me of that every day, like towards the end of my athletic career. And so this, this like incubator space, as we called it, like served the perfect outlet of honestly therapy for me, because I could talk through with one person who would under like one person that I had like like access to or contact with on a daily basis or a weekly basis that I like understood what I was going through in terms of like the loss of like identity, um, the loss of like, uh, like top end athletic talent or like, you know, um, a place to like showcase that talent. And, and so much was like tied into that. So I think it was the perfect place to sort of commiserate and it wasn't just like a gripe fest that was what was great about it was we weren't just sad and like trying to remain that way or like trying to just like unload on each other it was like also a place of and we, this is the reason we called it the incubator was like this this idea sort of uh place where we could just like throw anything and like i think both of you and i like love the sports business like as a whole, whether it's running or trail running, or it does not matter. Like I went to school for that. I have a graduate degree, uh, like a master's degree in sports business. And I think we just love talking about that. So we would talk not only about like the state of running or the state of like, or the potential growth opportunities for trail running, but we would also talk about like, you know, what was happening like with the NFL or the NBA or those sorts of things. Cause I think we both, we both love that too. So it was just like this perfect place for us to t talk through our next stages. Um, you know, you were like trying to birth like what would become free trail. Um, and we were talking a lot through what that could look like. I was trying to break into the footwear industry. So it was like this perfect sort of space for us to share ideas. So great and provide feedback to one another and keep each other motivated when we were hitting roadblocks as there were many. And uh, maybe we'll come around to talk about some of those here in a second. But as I recall, you had just sort of fallen short at the Olympic trials and you were just entering this post-competition life, as we said. And I think the audience, as we start to talk about Black Canyon and things like that, would love to hear you talk about that specific moment and, you know, be as specific as you can, because it is something that only a few people can truly relate to in the way that you and I were able to relate with each other at this special moment in time. So just how did you navigate that moment of retirement from your professional years as a track and road racer? And how did it impact you, especially like psychologically, emotionally? Oh, man, that was... 
that's that time of life um, was amongst the most difficult, definitely the most difficult by far, I would say that I've that I've experienced. Um, so the the Olympic trials, the Olympic trials marathon were in Atlanta uh, in 2020. It was on leap day, literally the last organized professional, like big professional sporting event that that would have like happened under the radar because the world really shut down on around March 14th, which is consequent. That was my birthday as well. So it's like I have it implanted in my mind. It was Olympic trials uh, and then the world shut down Um, at the Olympic trials. I was absolutely uh, trying to make the Olympic team. I was uh, I thought I had the fitness. um, I trained well, really didn't have any major blips come up through training. I felt like there were a lot of spots that were open. I mean, I thought, you know, Galen Rupp was coming in as the prohibitive favorite. Um, But then there were like two spots that felt pretty up for grabs. And so I felt like, you know, rarely would you say that going into an Olympics trials that it would be that open. And so I thought I had as just as good of a chance as anyone to, to nab one of those two spots. Unfortunately for me, the, the race really went poorly. Um, I had early onset, like, like uh, GI issues, like just stomach wasn't right. I couldn't fuel. Um, and I think with perspective now, like, you know, with four, almost four years now of perspective, I can say that like, I, I went into that very stressed. I went in with a lot of emotional baggage. I probably needed someone to like work through that with like going into it. Um, but it was just not something that was a part of my like, um, my toolbox. Like I didn't have, I did not have a a sports psych or, or even know where to start with that. So I think looking back, it's like, yeah, like that was pretty clear. Like, I don't know whether the GI issues were on set by the stress, but it certainly didn't help. And so I think going back on like into that, I'm like, man, like I could have done that a lot differently. Um, but yeah, it was, it was hard. Like it, you know, you, as Olympic athlete, Olympic sport athletes, we train our whole lives, uh, really to, to get to do that, to represent our country, um, in our chosen sport and to come cl- really close in 2012 to be fourth, uh, in the 5k, like I missed it barely there agonizingly, uh, in 2016, um, I ended up how ha- I ended up injured. So I couldn't compete which is even more gutting because it's like you've gone this whole cycle and you don't even get a chance and then in 2020 it was kind of like my last shot um you know coming in with just like i think some doubt and emo- like i said kind of just like some emotional baggage in re- in regard to confidence or 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 that sort of thing and like i think just wanting it so i think it's just like wanting it so badly that it was almost too much. So like was, I this, it. was the stress born from knowing this is my last shot or was this stress? Cause I think it's also important to state. I think you kind of knew I either make the team or my career's over at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, I mean, that's I, a, that's a brutal situation to be in as a competitor, either yeah. make the Olympics or retire. Come on. Right. It, it wasn't, things were not setting up, um, in my favor in regard to the timing of all of that. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, great competitors like are able to overcome those sorts of odds, but again, great competitors, I think, especially nowadays, like understand that they need a support team to be able to work through some of that and be mentally ready to like handle that and realize it's okay. So I think, 
you know, there's some, there's some like hindsight there. Um, there's some maturity, there's some, you know, elements of me being, you know, 36, almost 37 now, uh, playing into some of that as well. Heck yeah. So as you said, during our incubations, we talked about future career path and stuff, and you were just desperate to break into the footwear industry. And after some time wandering and some ups and downs along that journey of you know, deploying applications and having interviews, you've landed in a really great place. So maybe just to bring that part of our conversation full circle, just tell people what you're doing now. And I think also relevant is like, what part of that pursuit of excellence carries over into this professional world? Yeah. Um, yeah. So when we were like going on some of these runs, uh, I, I thought like, the the thing that I want to do when I'm done, and this was actually like sort of an idea that started to form in around 2015, 2016 timelines. That was like when I was injured, like I mentioned before, going into those trials, I started to like shadow and do a little bit of like reconnaissance work in regard to like learning about the footwear, like product creation um like industry um and so i had access to that being a nike athlete i was on campus i just started to fill my time um with with some of those learnings and like opportunities to network and meet people so this was like early early days this was 26 2015 2016 um so i had that sort of like earmarked or like back pocketed for like when i was done that this is sort of the industry that i wanted to pursue um you know when i hung when i hung up the spikes so um we fast forward to 2020 uh there's a pandemic and it turns out during pandemics they don't they're not really looking to hire new people um and so in that wasn't just a nike thing um that was everywhere like i i was sending applications literally all over the world um to different footwear uh companies uh and so I got some like little nibbles every once in a while. And anytime I got a nibble, I know that I brought that to you, like to to talk through and just be like share my excitement. Um, and unfortunately, like it just took a while. Like it, it took a while. Like I had to, I had to employ, I think, some of the things that make um endurance athletes especially good at what they do in terms of just this resiliency. And it took it took a good year of not having. A, I didn't have a job for about a year. Um, and with, and that was not without trying really hard. So um, it took some time before I was able to kind of get over the hump. Um, fortunately for me, uh, there was an opportunity at Nike at the beginning of 2021 um, that I was able to get in um, on a footwear um, innovation uh, team as, as a contractor. So it was a one-year contract. Um, and it was a dream. It was uh, such a cool job. I got to work with amazing talent in Nike Innovation. I learned a ton, um, but I also knew it was a year. But I think the other piece is like, again, as a contracted athlete, we're good at working on contracts. Yeah. Like we're good at working on on things that have have a t- you know a start and end. So I was all all the while trying to do my best to uh, again network for the next job. Sort of like you know, full gas, uh, on, on the job that I was doing, but also kind of one eye on the horizon of like, okay, okay so what's next when I'm done. Um, and I was lucky to have a lot of good mentors that helped to help me navigate that time, um, in that space. Um, and this never happens. Uh, I don't think for most people, but it did for me this time where, 
um, I was able to interview and, and land a, a full-time job um, at Nike. And my start date uh, for the new job was like one day after the end date for the contract that I was on. So it would, couldn't have been more seamless. Like this time around, it worked really well for me. Um, I think it just lined up. And you so manifested now, it. We manifested it in the incubator. We did. We did. Retrail is proud to partner with Ketone IQ, the groundbreaking ketone supplement used by the world's top performers across all major sports. This simple shot packs quite an energetic punch, a cutting edge formula designed to fuel your brain and body for the long haul. As you probably know by now, ketones give you an extra well to pull from metabolically instead of using glucose as your main source of energy. Exogenous ketones from Ketone IQ elevate your blood ketone levels, mimicking the effects of natural ketosis and providing increased energy, improved mental focus, and enhanced physical performance. It's that steady, consistent clarity that you just don't get from caffeine or anything else for that matter. Whether you're an elite athlete, a busy professional, or someone just looking to optimize your health, Ketone IQ is here for you. I use it every day to perform at my best on and off the trails. And I've met tons of Free Trail Podcast listeners who are similar converts. You should too. Go get 30% off a subscription of this game-changing product by visiting hvmn.com forward slash freetrail30, hvmn.com forward slash freetrail30. This episode is brought to you by Osprey. Super excited to be working with this iconic Colorado brand, the market leader in technical outdoor and travel packs, celebrating its 50th anniversary in 2024. One of my favorite podcasts of last year was the How I Built This with Osprey founder, Mike Fotenhauer, an incredible story of design and innovation, which remains a core part of Osprey's DNA to this day, and that they're now focusing on the trail running category. You guys will absolutely love these trail running packs. I promise the Duro and Dyna are the men's and women's options respectively with an extremely robust product selection for runs of all types, quick lunch runs to multi-day suffer fests. I've been rocking the six liter Duro vest and absolutely love the fit, the function, the durability. Born in the San Juans, trusted by top athletes like Tyler Green and Rachel Drake. You gotta check out these products. To make them even better, Osprey's full line are also sustainably crafted with Blue Sign approved 100% recycled main body materials. Again, making them a leader in the category. Head over to Osprey.com to check it out. Grab a bag, that's Osprey.com, or chances are you can find Osprey products also at your favorite local specialty mountain shop or run store. Thanks so much to Osprey. The unique part of that story is that you work for Nike, the brand that supported your entire professional running career. Maybe say a few words about that brand and what it's meant to you and what values of the brand have sort of become part of the Andrew Bumbleo values. Yeah, that's, that's a really, that's a great question. Um, I, so, uh, I'm a product line manager now. I didn't, I didn't really like land that, that plane there. I'm a product line manager in running footwear at Nike. So I couldn't be in a better spot within the company in terms of what it r really drives me and interests me. It's, it's a dream job. Um, in terms of like what, what values do I embody or like, like appreciate about Nike? I would say for one, just like Nike has been very loyal to me. Uh, 
I I am 30, almost 37 years old, and I've not collected a paycheck from anyone else uh, in, in, like as an adult. And so when I think about that, I'm like, they they have been very loyal. And the people that, that exist here, like sometimes I think Nike has a perception and I, and I don't I don't want to get really into that. But like, I think the positives I would say is just like the loyalty that I've experienced from the brand and wanting me to succeed not only as an athlete, but even like wanting me to succeed as a, as a working professional af- after my career was over um, was very apparent. And so um, it did take a lot of work to get here, but um, it wasn't it wasn't something that was just given, uh, but it but it but it was supported. And so I, I really appreciate the loyalty from those that have helped me along the way. And they know who they are in terms of me getting to where I am now. As somebody who's read Shoe Dog a few times, it seems like a certain Phil Knight was driven by a pursuit of excellence also. And it's been bred into many of the employees there in Beaverton. It makes me want to back up a step to one of the things that Levi mentioned to me that I think is relevant to this specific topic is that when you joined the Bowerman Track Club straight out of college, you were one of the top recruits or one of the top collegiate runners that was turning professional that year. But the word that Levi used was that you were plucked and it felt like kind of a a powerful word for him to use there. Almost like you were chosen to join this really elite group. So maybe talk about that moment of being plucked to use Levi's word and what it meant to you at that time. Yeah. So, uh, Jerry Schumacher and a lot of those Wisconsin athletes at the time, uh, Chris Selinski, Matt Tegenkamp, uh, Simon Byru, like that, that crew, including Evan Jager, who was actually like moved as well as a, as a, you know, he left college early to come out here. They started, uh, a professional group in Oregon. And to me, that was the pinnacle. Like those were the four or five pinnacle athletes like in North America, for sure, that were doing things that were like unexplainable to me at the time. Like I remember very vividly waking up to the news that Chris Selinski had run, uh, you know, 26.59 for 10K. And at the time, that was like equivalent to my 5K PR back to back. And I just like my head exploded, like when I when I like knew that that's what he had done. And so like, from then on, it was my like dream or goal to join that because I knew whatever they were doing, it was like they were pursuing they were pursuing excellence, like at the greatest and like level in the world. Um, and so it became my goal to, to like join them um, in terms of like being plucked. That's an interesting like way to put it. I think I think the reason I was plucked was because Jerry really wanted to expand the group beyond just Wisconsin runners. And so I think he was, he was like, he was looking for the right athletes to do that with not necessarily the best athletes, but the right athletes. I just watched the the movie miracle with my son legend, uh, the 2004, like 1980, like gold medal hockey movie. Love that movie. And he says, he says that I'm looking for the right athletes, not the best athletes. And I think I fit sort of the right athlete in terms of Jerry's mind of like willing to grind, willing to adapt to a culture, willing to like, 
uh, put in all of the work. Uh, I may not have even been the best runner at the time to like bring on to the group, but like I was the right one to like build build a bigger culture around. And I think I think if you see, if you think about it, like that group and that culture really lasted for as long of a of a time, and it still exists as any professional uh, group has really been around. So I think I think Jerry was right. Uh, I I think like in bringing me on because I think I was ready to join that. And I'm really glad that he did. And I feel very fortunate that he did uh, because we built something that I think is, is still pretty special today. Incredible. Beautiful. So looking at your pro career before we start transitioning to what's ahead, I'd love for us, I think it would be fun for us to both sort of talk about you know, looking back, right. And because like, there's gotta be some level of mixed emotions. I know for me, as I look back on my career, I'm really proud of a lot of things that I accomplished, but I also feel like, shit, I know I have like, I had a few more in me, right. Are you satisfied or do you feel like you left some things on the table or is it is a little bit of both? Yeah, that's a, that's such a great question. I think that like, it's it's hard to say I'm satisfied. Uh, I think there are moments of of complete satisfaction. I think those were those are fleeting though, because anytime you reach your like height, a new height, whether it's a personal best, whether it's like a win, whether it's whatever it is, you always think as the athlete that there's going to be a higher mountaintop. You think this is a false summit. Like this is just the false summit and like the true summit is is beyond me and I can't see it yet. I think sometimes like you got to realize like maybe this is the summit and I should check out the view. Like I should I, I should take the view in right now. And I think we're we're like as perf- as like, you know, competitive athletes, we're bad at that uh, often. Mm-hmm. And so I wish I think the thing that maybe I regret the most is like not not like taking the view in from like what I thought was a false summit, but it was actually maybe, maybe that was where the summit was going to be, um, for my career. Um, I think that's one thing. I think another thing I think about is, is I'm a coach now. Um, and the things that I tell my athletes sometimes are things that like I made, I, like I'd made big mistakes in like myself. And I think, there's an element of like confidence that I wish that I had, it would have had as an athlete to not do the extra double when I didn't need to, or to not push through the nagging, like, you know, uh, Achilles injury, or because if you are confident, you don't, you don't feel like you have to do that because you know that you'll be okay to like lay off. Cause I think I, I like lacked the confidence at times to to just like do less mm-hmm. like and to like not in less in a lazy way but less in like a smart way and you know this is like this is the the story oldest time with this sport the sport of running where <laughs> so like true. people are mostly mostly hampered by injury like that is the thing that i think most time most of the time people talk about is like that was the thing that held me back and if i like had listened to the advice that i'm giving my athletes now like as an athlete, I think I probably those those mountaintops that I talked about before probably would have been a little higher. Um, so those are the things that like, I guess, are regrets or like things that I wish I'd done differently. 
Well, what a great opportunity as a coach to help share those learnings with the next generation. Maybe we'll come around and talk about that here in a little bit. So transitioning to trail running, Bombi, the culture, bro. And part of our incubations was that I was always trying to persuade you, hey, man, just sign up for a 50K. Come on, come, come, run, come run a trail race. And it wasn't, I think, until last year's Canyons race that you even attended a trail race. And this seems like a pivotal moment for the story that we're about to tell as we point towards Black Canyon. So before we get to it, tell me about that experience at Canyons and in what way it maybe changed your psychology. Yeah, you, you were you have been like the biggest advocate, most vocal cheerleader, like for the sport of trail running since I've known you. Like, and this goes back quite a long time. This was before I think trail running was on like a ton of people's maps, even like in better in terms of being like the more crossover, like athlete that I would like describe myself as. Um, I think, I think I was like, yeah, like that's like, it all sounds cool. Like I like the outdoors. I like hiking. Like I, I do some like casual, like, like some of the volcano summits around here sometimes like and I like to run but I, like I never really thought about like about blending those two things together because I think I just had such a roadrunners like mindset um but you were like yeah man like you gotta just like come and see it you just gotta come and I was like okay like I, I get like I think I just was like yeah like I guess like okay um and then I did so I think Part of the like, part of the reason I did was because it, it intersected w- with my work. So I was down at Canyons um, last year um, on a work trip, and um, one of our designers at Nike at the time was running the hundred mile. Um, and I was like, oh, oh my God, you're running a hundred miles, dude! Like, do you are you serious? Like, that's crazy. Um, and so, and then the crazy, it got crazier because he was, he was like, well, I'm kind of like, he kind of subtly mentioned that he would like wanted a pacer, but like the guy that was going to do it on our trip got sick and couldn't come. And so then it was like, the team was sort of like, and like Bumby, you should do it. You should totally just do it. You should just jump in and do it. And I was like, well, I've been running some, but like the pacing is like, 36 miles or something like that I'm not doing anything that long um so I so literally we're down in Auburn uh I decide to do it the night before we go to REI um because I don't have any like proper gear and we're going through the required gear list I have shoes of course but I, I don't have the other stuff so we're going through the required gear list and we're like, yeah, don't have that. Don't have that. So we get to REI an hour before it closes. I have like a more like veteran trail person on our team that's like outfitting me with a vest. Uh, we pick up a headlamp. We get all the required gear on the list. And then I'm like, he, like we have video of me just like looking like, I don't know, like deer in the headlights getting fitted with all this different stuff. Um, and so then, uh, yeah, like. I, we, my, my, uh, runner, uh, my athlete that I'm pacing and, and good friend now, uh, is I'm meeting up with him, supposed to meet up with him at midnight in Forest Hill. Like that was where we were going to connect and we get there. He's not there. 
at 12. He's not there at 1230. The whole team's out there, mind you, too. It was so <laughs> cool. Like, that's the cool part, too, is like. What's this guy's Riddle name team. again? Just His name is Kyle Scannoni, just to shout him out. Shout out Scannoni. Uh, shout out Kyle. Scannone. We, you know, we, they're all, everyone's there. Like, there's like six of us and we're waiting for Kyle to show up. Uh, the dedication of the Nike Trail team unmatched to be at Forest Hill at 1.30 in the morning. So he finally shows up at 1.30. He is like in a bad spot. Like, I... I'm from the road world. I've never seen anyone look like this. Like he looked like he'd seen a ghost and like died. And um, he was in a bad way. We we have, again, like the more veteran member of our team, like recognizes that it's not great, but it's probably going to be OK. So we kind of like get some calories back in him. I'm like, oh, man, dude, this is going to be a long venture home because it's 36 miles like I mean, just running at a good pace is going to take a while. And if we're walking for part of like, we're, if we're walking and like, and this is like one of the longest runs of your entire life. Yes, should yes. Say. I'm like, dude, this is going to take forever. Um, we might be like noon before we're back in. So, okay. So then this is where I like start to like go into coach mode. I'm like, all right, we have to like assess the situation. We got to get him moving again. Like he needs to start moving. Can't, we cannot walk 36 miles. Can't happen. So I'm like, hey, Kyle, like after he started to come around a little more, we're, we're we leave Forest Hill. I'm like, hey, man, you just we got to run for one minute. We have to just give me one minute. I just need one minute. So, and we will walk as much as you want to after that. So he gives me one minute. We jog. He walks for two minutes. Then it's like we did it again. And then we did it again. And then by the third or fourth time, then we're just running and he doesn't need to stop. We're going. And I'm like, okay, we're in a good spot we're now. Back. I think we're going to make it. So we move through the night together. It is exhilarating. Like, I'm like, this is incredible. I've never run through the night like this before. My guy is like, Kyle is rebounded. Like, and we are talking and like, we're having a great time out there together. Um, and and I think I've heard you say this and others, you never bond. There, there's no bond like that, that happens faster. There's no bond that happens faster than doing something like this together. Yeah. Um, so we we aren't even that close before this, but like after the this, we're very close. So um, anyway, we we make it to the finish. The the next morning is beautiful. We see the sunrise. Um, you know, he, he starts to really get moving. Well, the last 10 miles, we're cruising the last 10 miles of the course. We come up into Auburn. We're feeling great high on life. And it's just an awesome day. Like it, it, what could have been really bad, like turned into a great day. And so I'm like, I'm just like smiling ear to ear when I see you at the finish. Yes. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm glad you remember seeing me at the finish because where I wanted to go was, I mean, you had a twinkle in your eye there, dude. Like you had seen trail culture up close and personal for the first time and had a blast, even though it was one of these just, you know, textbook vision quests through the night death slogs with your buddy. <laughs> so I think like the obvious thing is like in what way that changed how you viewed the sport or it was that the moment where this inkling or this kernel of an ambition for a golden ticket came from because it was a golden ticket race i mean kyle was in the 100 yeah. miler but the golden ticket 100k happened the next day no so canyons was just like 
the the tr- canyons was like me seeing grateful dead for the first time like grateful dead is not a re- you don't hear grateful dead on a record and be like oh what a great band that's an amazing record you have to go you have to go and so and then that's what people will tell that's what people will tell you about the dead and so for me like canyons was my first time seeing the grateful dead in terms of like oh there's this niche community and it actually is amazing i want to do i i want to be around this more like i don't know completely what it is for me personally and how it will like exist for me but i i know that i liked it and i want to be around it again like that's what canyons was awesome okay so i want to get to start talking about training and stuff as we point towards black canyon But one of the things you and I spoke on the phone like a week ago or something. And one of the things that I thought would also be interesting for the audience to hear you talk about is your wife. Anne. because one of the things you said was, I think Anne is maybe getting scared that I'm getting serious about running again, because obviously she had seen all the pain and anguish that it's caused in your life. And also all those summits and mountaintops and false summits that we just talked about. So start there. Talk about Anne. Talk about this return to running and racing like you're signed up for one of the most competitive races in the world this year. And in what way you guys have been talking about it together? Yeah, that's 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 a really good like lead in i think that yeah there is like when she saw like the twinkle in my eye turn into like maybe like the pupils getting bigger and like the compet like not just like oh you you had this cool experience but like you you like want more of this or you want to test yourself within it she knows what she's been around me and has been my partner through all of this. So she knows like what this looks like and what it can look like. And I made it my profession for 10 years. I think the thing that I like is a little different this time around is that like, I have a family, I have a career, um, I'm coaching and then I'm adding like this other thing that I also am trying to do at a high level. So I think for us, it's just like, I think for me, it's just like reassuring her that like, you know, I, I am in a, I'm in a slightly different life space than I was when I was like trying to achieve like, you know, top level world-class success on the roads of the track. I also think like, you know, the sports are different. And I think that's what I'm, I'm trying to like be really open and learn and, and learn from some of the best people and the most experienced people. I think there's an element of like, being able to do some of the training that is required for ultra trail running um, in the context of some of these like other things that are, you know, in your life. Um, like I, I listened to one of your podcasts with, with Anthony Costales. And I think one of the things that stuck with me with, with, with what he said was like, yeah, like I'm a teacher, like I do that full time, but like running becomes something I get to do, not something I have to do. Mm. And there's something about like, these tight spaces within the day that like I know if I like don't do a run like at my lunch break or whatever like it just won't happen and so it creates this sense of urgency and and no one's forcing me to do this this is not my career like this is something that I've like just identified as something I want to try and so I think there's some freedom in that and I think there also is some like 
just like looseness that comes with it because I don't have, I have, of course, like the goal of being excellent in my own way at this, but also like it not at the expense of like being great father or being really good at my job um, or these other things that are like really, really important to me now that take up a little bit more of my bandwidth. So bringing it back to Levi, he said that you two had recently been talking about the value of goal setting. Say more about that. And to what degree have you missed having some sort of athletic goal over these last few years and, and what it feels like to bring that back? It's huge. Like, I, I think I, I was looking for it the whole time. Like, if I like think about the last three years, like of being retired, like from running, I think I was like trying to find it. And I thought, oh, maybe I want to qualify for the Olympic trials marathon. It's only 217. Like I've run quite a bit faster than that. Maybe I can do that. Um, and then like, I looked at it in other places too, I think of just like, how can I like kind of harness this thing that I miss, uh, in a new way. And it just didn't feel right. I was just like, I don't think I care that. Like, I don't care if I can run 216 and go to Orlando. Like, I know I could do that. Like, but is, does it bring me like that much joy? I don't think it, I, I found out that I guess it doesn't. And so the thing for me that feels like this totally new thing that I have nothing compare to compare myself with is, is trail and is this idea of like going long. I've never gone this long before. Um, I don't know what it is going to feel like. Uh, I assume it will be hard. Like any, to any, like any, like running endeavor that I've done has been hard, but like, I just don't know what to expect. And so I think that was a lot of the appeal. I think again, like being around the community, um, it's a, it's a very different community, but a very like welcoming and wonderful community, um, that I've gotten to like, get to know a little bit through some different race experiences. Um, I, I think so going back a little bit to like what sparked the the golden ticket thing in my mind was being at Western States. So I got to go to Western States uh, this past year and as a as a Nike employee and, and take in different different aspects of the weekend. But man, like I think people were like, oh, man, golden hour, dude, you got to be there at the track on Sunday. That's it. And I was like, OK, like that sounds cool. Like. You know, like, again, like I, you have to, you don't know. Until, and then we were there on Sunday morning and I was like, there were people like multiple people that were finishing just under like the cutoff. And I was like moved. Like I didn't expect, I just, because I knew like people had hyped it up. I was just like, sometimes I am a little skeptical of like that, but I actually was moved. Like I was. How could you not I, be? I mean, I have goosebumps was, right now just thinking about it. I've been there like 10 times. It's incredible. It's, it's And it doesn't exist. There is not that same thing in any other discipline of running. There's yeah. just not. And so to me, that was really cool. Um, you know, getting to track like Tyler Green and some of our like some like Nike athletes out on course uh, was really was really impactful. And so like I was like, man, maybe like I'd like I don't know, like maybe I'd like to do this. It's yes. <laughs>
the very first brand to ever believe in free trail. You guessed it, Gnarly Nutrition. Born in Salt Lake, Gnarly sets the standard when it comes to performance nutrition products. Of course, they have Run Fueling dialed with Fuel 2.0, the collab orange drank flavor we formulated together. Gnarly also offers pre-workout blends and extremely dank protein mixes. I am going hard on the protein right now. I'm not gonna lie. This aging athlete and podcaster had an evaluation recently and there was one thing that was abundantly clear. I basically needed to double my protein intake. Enter Gnarly Nutrition. I'm now smashing three scoops of the Gnarly Whey protein powder mid-morning every day and already feel way better charging into 2024. For those who are plant-based, Gnarly also offers a vegan option of the same protein powder. And to be honest, I can't tell them apart. So they're equally delicious and you'll have your selection there. Of course, Free Trail listeners get special discounts of 15% off the whole product offering not just protein but everything else visit gonarly.com use code free trail 15 gonarly.com use code free trail 15 okay so back to the training yeah again you were plucked by the bowerman track club you ran for jerry schumacher for the entirety of your professional career you're now self-coached to as far as i know so i'd love to hear you know sort of to what degree Jerry's influence is still overhanging into your trail running exposure? Are there things that you're, you're still sort of, that are still habitual from the Bowerman days that are mapping to trail running? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the things that I'm trying to do with my, with like coaching myself for this is, is to try to like, test ideas against people who actually know what they're talking about in ultra running. So I would say like, I, I come up with a concept for a week or a cycle. Um, and then I'm like, I'll talk to someone who knows a lot more about it than I do. And I'm like, is this, do people do this? Is this crazy? Like, I know how to build fitness. Like I do, like, I know how to build uh, general fitness for running, um, whether that be, you know, from 800 meters all the way through the marathon, I have a lot of experience with that. And I feel very confident in my ability to like write my own training or anyone else's training in those disciplines. I think I'm trying to blend the best practices of some of those things that I know very like assuredly with, with things that are just very different about the sport of ultra running. And so I've tried to learn from some of the best. Anytime I'm, I'm on a I'm on a run with Tyler Green, I'll ask him questions. He's probably like, dude, like you need to get a coach <laughs> versus like asking me all these different things. But like, um, I think I'm just trying to learn. Uh, I'm 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 trying to acknowledge that like while I am an expert in in one uh, discipline or field of running, I have very a lot to learn um, in the sport of ultra running, and so. Um, that's, that's sort of been the method. Uh, we'll see if it's successful or not. Uh, but I, I have run some concepts by people and they're like, dude, no one does that. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, I'm like, okay, I guess that maybe is either going to be something that's really innovative that everyone's doing 10 years from now, or it's going to be something that like is just stupid and, and doesn't have any place. So I think it's just been a blend of that, but it's been a lot of fun. Like, I think that's, that's been the really cool thing. I I've done a couple of really big back-to-back weekend runs, which I've never done before. Like where you do, you know, doing a lot, two long runs, essentially. Um, the first time I did it, dude, I was just like so stoked with how I felt on the second day. 
um, in a surprised way. Cause I think I would just come off of some of our Bowerman like marathoning road, a road like efforts and just be wrecked for like two days. Um, but the trails are just different. And so I think that's what I'm just trying to, to learn and piece together. Is there a sense of freedom in being self-coached versus having that super strong accountability of the Bowerman group? Because one of the other things that Levi and I talked about was before Jerry, you were coached by Pat Henner at Georgetown. And of course, I'm an honorary Hoya, as you and Levi know. <laughs> but, you know, obviously Henner has produced a, the coaching tree of the century with Mike Smith at Northern Arizona and Chris Miltonberg at... Uh, North Carolina. And then you ran for Jerry. And now, you know, it's Andrew Bumbelo. So you obviously had great guidance in your professional career. But this is like the first time you haven't really had a coach, even if you're asking for advice. Is there is that part of the sense of freedom and renaissance that you're experiencing right now? I, I think so, because I think it it allows me to, um, again, be flexible with my life, like the other aspects of my life that like, um, feel less movable. Um, I can move things around in my week, uh, and adjust them in a way that I think makes sense, uh, based on like, uh, the things that I know about running and recovering from running, um, while still holding myself accountable to getting in the work and the big efforts that I think I need to. So, yeah, I, I do think it has been, has been nice. I think, um, one, I, I think one of the things that I have really just has been a constant, though, is just this desire to, like, run with people. Mm. Um, I get a ton of energy from training with others. Um, and so I think that's been something that I've been fortunate to have all the way through from high school till now. There's a there's a nice little trail running community here in in Portland and. Um, I'm discovering, you know, and meeting some of the people that I didn't necessarily know in that space. Uh, Liam Myru is, is here, um, as well. So it's like, there's a, there's like this, like cross, there's like this nice, like crossover sort of population that exists in Portland, um, in the running scene. So I've been able to like link up with a lot of people. And I think that's really, really helped me. Hell yeah. Okay. So let's talk about Black Canyon. <laughs> psychology you're no stranger to racing on big stages we've mentioned that a few times now this is your first ultra and you're absolutely jumping straight into the deep end where is your head at and what is the mix of fear versus exhilaration i think you just you just nailed it there i think the the reason that Black Canyon rose to the top of my list was, well, a few things. One, I knew that it excited me. And that's really like, I don't want to do anything that doesn't just thrill me at this point. There's no reason to, like, yeah. I don't have to do it. So I should only do things that really excite me Two, I, I was, when I like hit, like, uh, when I signed up and hit like, you know, okay on ultra sign up, I was terrified. <laughs> so I knew that I was doing those two things, right. Uh, a blend of like excitement and fear. Um, I have, I don't, I have a healthy respect for what this will be. I know it will challenge me in ways that I don't even know what they are yet. And, but I also like, I want to, I want to run against people who are the very best at what they do. 
um, again, I think it wouldn't be as exciting to me to sign up for a race that I could walk away from and win easily or something like that. Like I would rather like be challenged. And also going back to like this idea of Western States to me, I was like, I, I literally sat down after Western States and I was like, what's the best path to Western States? If that's like, and and not to look past it, not to look past Black Canyon whatsoever, yep. but more of just like, if I wanted to do that, how do you do it? And I looked at, I was like, okay, I definitely don't want to do a hundred miles to get there. <laughs> like, yeah. so that narrowed the field of races that are qualifiers. hundred K much better for me, uh, as a starting distance. Uh, and so there just aren't, there are only a few and there's only like, I think, what are there two in North America yep. or three that are, that are hundred Ks. Anyway, I knew canyons. I was like, you watch the people who run canyons and then they like, they make it in, but they run Western States and it's really hard to turn it around. So I thought, if I'm going to run, if I'm going to have a chance to run at Western States and to run there and enjoy it and, and do well, like you have to, you have to run Black Canyon if you're me. You, that's just what makes sense. And so that's how I started to to map it out. It also like helps that it's a very like runnable course. Yes, like it, it's not it's not like super technical. It's flowy. It's downhill. There are sections that are rocky. Like I've learned a lot about the course, like since signing up. But like it also like there is an element of like the course feeling um, palatable or like or just like uh, manageable. Maybe yeah. it, it'll still be really hard. I know that. But mm -hmm. like there's some manageable elements of like a roadrunner transitioning to to trail. So when we talked on the phone last week or whenever that was. I could just feel just the raw, pure, genuine excitement. And I'm sure our listeners can sense it now from you. But I'd love to hear you talk about pressure also. We mentioned earlier in our conversation that at your final professional race, you pretty much knew that either you make the Olympic team or you retire. Just a ridiculous amount of pressure. And with pressure, it can compromise our ability to enjoy the pursuit, right? So just meditate on, on pressure and to what degree you feel any going into Black Canyon and how that impacts your ability, like this excitement that you're genuinely feeling. I, I don't feel pressure. I, I really don't. And I think um, I, I feel like healthy, like fear, like I said, of like what is unknown to me. But like no one is expecting anything of me here. Like, I mean, maybe like I'm sort of like holding it down for the roadie athletes that are crossing over into trail. And maybe that like could be an element of pressure. Like, oh, see, like, you know, like if I do well, it's like, oh, of course he did well. He's, he's run fast marathon and like that's awesome. Or if I like don't do well, then the other side is like, oh, see, like roadrunners can't run like ultra running, like aren't good ultra runners or aren't good trail runners. And so like one could like, like deviate at your in your worst hour to like either of those scenarios but like i just don't feel that like i feel i feel like a true sense of like wanting to test myself against the course against the distance and then to see how that stacks up against some of the best people that do this and you know it maybe it ends up being a great day and i'm able to like sneak onto the podium Maybe it ends up being something where like it's really hard and I like barely like am able to finish. But either way, like, 
you know, I'll have learned something about myself and I'll know, like, I'll, I'll know, I'll have a better answer to what is unknown to me now. So no pressure, but we're fucking ticket hunting, bro. <laughs> so, oh, they, like, that's the thing. Like, people ask me, like, are right, you so what are you doing? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm, 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 try I'm competing. <laughs> like, there's like, there's no question of that. Like, there's no question that I like have intention and I will compete. I just don't feel the same level of pressure because again, this is not my discipline and it's not like tied to my like livelihood in any yeah. way. This is, this is a pure, like I'm 37. I'm trying to squeak or almost 37. And I'm trying to squeak out like maybe what is the last like three to six years, three or five years of like my body being able to do things at a really high level. So yeah. I think there's like more of that element, but yeah, like, yeah, heck yeah. Like I'm a competitor. I, I want to be in the mix. And I just have to say to Bumby, I'm crewing for you. And I feel a similar level of just pure excitement. Like I've never felt just a crew for you at Black Canyon. And I think that energy is going to serve us well. And it's going to be an honor to shepherd you on your first hundred kilometer journey. And I can't wait to have a front row seat, whether it goes good or bad, it's going to be an absolute miracle. I have like a personal pride in never asking my guests about their nutrition plans. <laughs> but I have actually, I told a couple of people you were coming on the show and, you know, of course, everybody's like, you know, you, what's he going to do for nutrition, right? Because this is a whole different ball game. As a professional, this is sort of the angle I want to take with it is like, you know how to pay attention to the little things and you know how to seek advice in moments where you feel like maybe you don't have the level of competence in a particular detail, maybe nutrition's one of them. So maybe talk about that, you know, how you're approaching things like nutrition or, you know, the technicality of the course, you've never set foot on it. Uh, so things like that, just like, does that professional approach still sort of enter your mind? Yeah, I think I've tried to like, think through what are some of the things that are not fitness related or running related that could prove to be like barriers or challenges um, and try to mitigate those as much as I can. Um, one, one big thing. So I, I have someone here in Portland who is uh, he's a, you know, PhD, highly, highly intelligent and highly clued in on all of these different things. So I, I approached him and I said, Hey, these are the two things that I'm like most worried about. One is one is was is heat. I, I I typically like have had trouble in really hot conditions. So I'm like, I want to make sure that's less of a thing. So I talked through a you know a heat acclimation strategy in case it's hot. You know, I guess we don't we won't know that till it gets closer to the race. And then the second thing and the most important thing is nutrition. Um and it's a lot different trying to fuel for a two hour and 10 minute race than it is for an eight hour race. And, um, so I walked him through what I'd been, what I'd sort of been trying and, you know, um, tinkering with myself. Um, and I said like, you know, does this, again, does this make sense? Like, am I, am I, am I under gauging or am I over gauging? Like, where do I, where am I landing? And he, he did some quick, you know, math, in regard to like calorie intake and carbohydrates and all the different like, you know, essential um, fuel. Um, and, 
you know, he, the only encouragement that I got was like, if you can do a little bit more, do more. So, um, I feel like it's getting to a good place. Uh, again, it'll be, it'll be something that I'm learning of course, uh, on the course and you'll be, you'll be helping me through, but, um, it is, it is feel like it's in a good place and I have a plan, um, going in. Um, I'm not just, you know, you know, shooting in the dark or anything like that. So those are the two big things that felt like outside of fitness are, you know, really key elements to executing a good race. So, well, buddy, I can't freaking wait before we get to our final closing question. I want to come back to something you mentioned earlier and that's coaching. I was talking to Peter Bromka and he told me about this Rose city track club. And I had no idea that you had just become the coach of, a training group up there in Portland. So talk about what value coaching has brought into your life and speak specifically about this Rose city group. Cause you and I haven't talked about it. Yeah. Uh, coaching is something that I always wanted to do when I was done. Um, I think again, because I learned from the very best. Um, if you combined like the coaches that you mentioned that I had like intersection with, I think I'd put them up against just about anyone in the world in terms of like the the class and the results that they've been able to produce uh, from their like stable of athletes. I think there are elements uh, within my own career that like were were clear blunders or like blind spots or areas that could have been improved. And I think, so my mission is to take the like world-class level of knowledge that I got, you know, through osmosis as an athlete from these like excellent coaches combined with my experience as an athlete and, you know, share that with sort of the, the next generation or like, you know, the current generation of runners. Um, I think for me specifically, uh, the, the sort of like demographic or group that I've been most drawn to has not been like the, the elite athlete. Um, you know, there's a different sort of set of problems for an elite athlete in terms of squeezing out like the last 5%. I think at some point I'd be very interested in like working with that type of athlete and tackling that. The athlete that I've been working with is much more of a community level athlete. Um, someone who maybe like just found running uh, and is trying to qualify for Boston or someone who uh, like just wants to like see how good they can be. And I resonate a lot with sort of that mindset. And I think that sort of um, that sort of person has been somewhat underserved in, in some ways, because, you know, when we graduate from high school uh, and then from college, like, adult sports and pursuit of excellence within adult sports is like not really a high like level value in our society. It's kind of like, why are you still doing this <laughs> kind of thing versus like, versus like it being celebrated. And so I think I've really wrapped my arm around this idea of like, we have the opportunity to continue to be like better every year, even if we're 35 or 45 or 55, it doesn't matter. And, um, so I, I just believe, and I think that's, you know, one of just one of my values of like, again, of excellence is just like, how can you keep improving no matter where you are in life? So that's what Rose City Track Club really does embody. Rose City Track Club is founded on all the, these principles that I just mentioned. They're, uh, they're a group of, of, of community level runners. Um, some are like on the higher, like 
end of of like you know qualifying for like kind of teetering with qualifying for the olympic trials and the marathon all the way down to people who are just like kind of getting started and so it's like around 85 90 members strong and it's been a really cool experience to get to step into that community in portland specifically um get to lead this group um get to shape the future of of their performance goals and the way that they talk about um, performance within their group. Uh, and uh, again, it's just like another outlet that I have uh, that fits within this greater, this greater ecosystem um, in Portland for me. Beautiful. Final question for you, Bumby. Who is one person that you admire can be inside or outside of sport, living or dead? And why do you admire that person? Yeah, uh, for me... I will say it is people who, and this is a more general thing. I'll get to a specific person, but the, this idea of people who um, have sacrificed something great for either another person or for a cause, they have given up something. They have lost something um, in order to pursue justice um, in some way or, uh, protection for a people group in some way. And so for me, um, I, I think every time that I, that, you know, I'm exposed to, um, you know, uh, the civil rights era, uh, here in the United States, um, in the 1960s, um, Martin Luther King Jr. being the sharp point of that for us here, um, there is this element of like he paid the ultimate price for what he believed in and it was the right you know it was the right thing and to me there is no greater admiration for me than someone who is willing to pay the ultimate price for what they believe in so strongly and so um in every action that they exude cascades from this belief and so uh, I, I would say like, that's a very serious answer, but I, I, I just, when you're asking me that, like, I can't go anywhere else. I don't think in terms of, 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 of true, just like deep admiration, because I think I question with myself, like, am I strong enough to like stand up for something that like, I believe in that much? I don't know. And I think that's, that's sort of the thing that like, I, I think about for myself and in regard to that. And so it's just an amazing, amazing sort of, um, outpouring of, of, of just like love and willingness to pay the ultimate, the ultimate price. Sacrifice. What a perfect place to end our conversation. Bumby. I love you, buddy. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. That was an amazing conversation. I cannot wait to see you in Arizona in a couple of weeks. Let's go. It's gonna be great. Thank you, Bumby. I can barely wait to be with my guy down there in Arizona, helping him to squeeze out a special day among some of the best athletes in the world at what will definitely be the most competitive golden ticket race of all time. And I don't say that lightly. If you don't know, obviously the good people at Aravipa will be doing a full broadcast 
of this incredible race. Free Trail will be there doing pre and post race content. We're building the hype now with this Bumby pod, but stay tuned for a lot of race coverage at Black Canyon in just a couple weeks. And like I said, sign up for the newsletter so you can be the first to know what we plan to be doing there because plans are coming together and it's going to be super duper fun. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought about the episode. Drop your feedback in Slack. Always love hearing from you. If you're not a member, you got to sign up. It's only $10 a month or $96 a year. We're doing weekly strength classes right now with Hannah, which is worth the price of admission in and of itself. So please do check out the show notes and consider joining Free Trail Pro. Big thank you to our sponsor, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code Free Trail 10 for 10% off the best footwear in the game. Gnarly Nutrition. Go gnarly.com. Use code Free Trail 15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. Ketone IQ. Get 30% off your subscription of Ketone IQ by visiting hvmn.com forward slash free trail 30. And finally, Osprey. Osprey Packs, the leading pack brand globally. Check them out at osprey.com or at your favorite local retailer. Thank you all so much for listening. A lot of really great podcasts scheduled here in the near future. So we'll be talking to you again very soon. Until then, love you mucho. Bye-bye.